All right, just a heads up, guys. I'm getting the preview ready, and uh, we'll be live in a minute. Uh, doctor, if you wouldn't mind just turning your um, video off, and when I start introducing you, um, flick it back on. Uh-oh, Alex, I hear myself. Well, I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a long show. Welcome to OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. We have an incredible lineup for you tonight. Stay, stick around for uh, an interview with Sivan Rahav Meir, world Mizrahi Shluchat to the U.S. and is acclaimed Israeli journalist, and also for Rabbi Shal Robinson, the Rabbi of Lincoln Square Synagogue. Um, if you are on Facebook, on YouTube, please feel to feel free to communicate with us by commenting in the comments below or email after the show, ou.live at ou.org. Uh, we love reading your comments, suggestions, questions. In the meantime, it's my distinct honor and privilege to introduce our next guest, Dr. Eldad Hode. He is a, the A tenured professor of pathology and cell biology and director of the Center for Advanced Laboratory Medicine at Columbia University Medical Center at, of New York Presbyterian Hospital. Doctor. Oh, thank, thank you for having me and thank you, thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share what we're doing. Uh, thank you for taking time out. Um, I always feel uh, very humble when people do take time out to, uh, to join the show and to talk to our audience, but uh, all the more so, um, every minute you're spending with us, you're, you are working literally 24-7, around the clock, nonstop. Can you tell us about your work right now? Sure. So, so maybe I'll, I'll just take a step back and, and I'll tell you that um, I am not a coronavirus researcher. Um, I'm a blood doctor um, and I study blood. And about two weeks ago, um, all the institutions in, in the New York area shut down all research laboratories, um, basically to send people home to protect, to protect them, to send the students home. And many um, healthcare workers and, and scientists decided that they weren't going to shut down their lab and they were going to switch to, to try to help in the effort. Um, and, and that's what we did with many of my students who continue to come in and, and continue to work. Um, and, um, and so what I wanted to share with you is, is one of the approaches that, that we're doing. And this is one of many approaches that, that are going on um, at many institutions. Um, and we're all working together, coming together to try to find cure or try to find treatments that will help um, people who have coronavirus. Um, and so the, the thing I'm working on is called um, convalescent plasma. Um, and I'm leading the effort, or I'm helping lead the effort at, at Columbia with other leaders at every, at every one of the hospitals in, in New York 
And so I, if I may, I just want to explain what, what convalescent plasma means and, and what it is. And so, you, you may. <laughs> so, so take a step back. So the way your body fights a virus is by making antibodies against it. And so your immune system knows how to, um, has to learn how to recognize every different virus that's out there. And the way it does that is it makes antibodies that are specific for that virus. Um, and so anyone who's had coronavirus um, has, for the most part, made antibodies to that virus. And then that's circulating in your blood. And so the idea behind convalescent plasma is if we can get that blood from people who have cleared the virus, then we can potentially put it into others um, to try to help them clear the virus. And so there are many sick people that, that we see in the hospital that we have no treatments for, and we're hoping that we could try to use convalescent plasma to treat them. Um, there are other ways we can potentially use it. So you could think about um, people in nursing homes. Um, so if we can get convalescent, enough convalescent plasma, we could potentially give every person in a nursing home convalescent plasma to prevent them from getting it. Um, and it, it works in, uh, it works, it's a, it, we don't, we're not sure whether it will work and, and in which situations it will work. Um, but there's pretty good evidence. There's some evidence from China that it, it might work and there's evidence from, from nature that it works. And so um, you should know that babies don't know how to make antibodies when they're born. They're, they don't learn how to make antibodies until four or five months of age. And the way they're protected for those first three or four months of, of age is that they actually get the antibodies from their mothers. So the antibodies from the mother cross the placenta, enter the, the baby's bloodstream, and that helps provide protection for the baby during the first three or four months of life. And so, for example, if if the EMA or the mom gets a, a, a vaccine for you know measles, then the, they, the mom will make antibodies to the measles, and that will cross the placenta and protect the baby so that the baby cannot get measles during the first three or four months of life until those antibodies go away and the baby has to learn how to make them themselves. So the idea here is not a vaccine and not inoculation, but it is a way to give antibodies produced by survivors of coronavirus to people who are most at risk for it. Exactly. And, and there are people working on vaccines and ultimately that may be the way that we stop this thing. But until we get there, because that takes much longer to develop, um, we need something to treat the patients who are now on respirators. We need something to treat the patient who are now in the hospital and we don't have enough respirators for them. You know, we need to give them something. We need to give them some hope. And this is something that the that the community and especially the Jewish community could potentially do to help the situation. Because anyone who's had coronavirus um, theoretically has made the antibodies, and if they qualify to be blood donors, can then go in and donate blood and, and help us and provide us with treatment options that that can help us get people out of the hospital back home so that we can treat other patients. Um. That's that's astounding. So if someone listening uh, had Corona, but how sure do you have to be that you had Corona? Because especially till recently with the testing, it hasn't been so clear. Maybe I just had the flu. I, I know this is a big problem. The testing is a big problem and, and we're working on that too. I have another, another team working on. So in order to make this work, we need to know who has antibodies and who doesn't. And so Currently, there is no FDA-approved test for that. Um, we're working around the clock on that, and I'm collecting blood from people to test so that we can validate those assays so that we know who has antibodies and who doesn't, and then who has 
the right type of antibodies for this type of treatment, and that's a more complicated task. Um, and so, so the FDA is regulating this, and, and the FDA just came out with guidance today to tell us how this should be done, and we're having another larger meeting tomorrow um, to figure out exactly how this is going to work. But it, it sounds like what, they, what they're going to demand is that um, and this is for safety reasons, is that it's going to be any, at least initially, it's anyone with a confirmed diagnosis via a nose swab. Um, and then they have to be symptom free for 14 days. And then, um, and then, and then they could sign up to be screened to see if they have the right antibodies. And so first there'll be a screening event, which will, we still have to figure out where that's going to happen. Is it going to be Hatsala ambulances going out to the community to screen people, or is it going to be in clinics throughout the New York area? Um, so where are we going to screen people to be potential donors? So that's another logistical hurdle for us. Um, and then we do I need to do the testing to make sure their antibodies are the right kind of antibodies. And then we need to call them in to donate blood at the New York Blood Center, who are going to prepare, who have the, li the right license to prepare the blood to send to the various hospitals. In the meantime, we also have to coordinate the different trials that we're going to use this for. So there's what are called indicate, like I said before, there are multiple indications. So you could use it in a nursing home. You can use it for healthcare workers who are out on the front lines getting exposed every day. So let's give each healthcare worker a shot of this to protect them. Let's give this to the people who are in the hospital but don't need a respirator now and see if it prevents them from needing a respirator. Or ultimately, you know, someone is really sick. We don't know what to do anymore. We have no other treatment. They're on a ventilator and they're really not doing well. Let's give them a shot and see if, if, if it can save their lives. Um. That's uh, quite overwhelming. So the we're asking before, if someone's watching right now and, and did recover, um, and let's say they, they got a nose swab and they're, they, they know it's corona, um, where do they go? So at the moment, I can't share that information because we haven't built that infrastructure yet. That's the problem. It's, you know, we've been working on this for, you know, less than two weeks and these kinds of trials and these kinds of studies and bringing the infrastructure together to do this would take us two years, three years, if, you know, it, it takes us two, three years to build a real trial. And so doing this in the span of a week or two, when all the healthcare system is focused on, you know, finding respirators and taking care of patients, it, it's, it's quite challenging, um, but we're doing the best we can. And that's why we're working. And it, it's not just me, I, I have to admit, there are, I have multiple colleagues across all the institutions in New York that are all working together. And it's, not just New York, it's also, you know, I'm talking to people at Hopkins and, and in Houston, it's, it's really an amazing, I mean, it, it's a horribly amazing time, um, let's, let's put it that way, but it, it's, the way people are coming together is really inspiring. Um, incredibly impressive. So um, there's, so we'll, we'll keep our eyes and ears open um, for when the infrastructure is built. Um, and you're, you're working around the clock. What, um, how do you, how do you push yourself to do that? You, you know, so, so four of my students are, um, are, the, are, are from Italy and, uh, you know, when the Italian news started hitting, um, and their parents are, are at home, it really hit home and they would come into work every day and cry and, and we, you know, it's, it's scary and, and it, and it's real and everyone is scared. And, you know, this was my training and, and this is what I was meant to do. And so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stop, you know, until we find something. Um, inspiring. Thank you. 
Dr. Ho, thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing with us and for raising our awareness. And also thank you for your what you're doing. And, and please, as soon as we have the infrastructure and, and we have something somewhere for you to go, we will share it with the community and, and please volunteer. But don't be disappointed if you don't get called right away because it, it, again, it's it's challenging and 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 we have limited staff and and limited every resources and so we're doing the best we can uh I, god willing you'll have uh, everything you need to to complete the work thank you so much okay have a have a easy rest of the day and and uh, success thank you thank you thank you for the opportunity You are on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. We have a great lineup for you the rest of the night. Stay in your seat. We're going to have an up close and personal with Rabbi Shaul Robinson, really one of the most uh, uh, impressive Shaul rabbis, uh, I want to say, in the country. I'm afraid he might be watching. I don't want to embarrass him. In the meantime, though, I'd like to introduce Sivan Rahav Meir. She is the world Mizrahi Shlucha to North America. She's an Israeli journalist, a media personality lecturer. She's also a very popular teacher of the parasha. Um, Sivan, you please join us. You just turn on your video and your mic. Sivan, are you there? Hi, Sivan, how you doing? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Looks us like you're coming at us from New York City. Do, do you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Okay, it's hard. I can't hear you. Maybe send, you, send me a link, okay, on WhatsApp where I, where I can join, you know, and see everything. And that way I can, I will be able to hear you. But right now, I see you, but I can't hear. Uh, Wait a minute. I'll try maybe from the smartphone. Maybe here it will be better. Let's see. Can you hear me now? Do you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? 
Beautiful. Yeah, why not? Great. Hi. Okay, awesome. I'm, I'm very confused about the other Sivan who's also here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll leave that meeting. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, okay. Savava. Yeah. I guess I guess this is very confusing. You were just, uh, I believe you were just teaching at in the World Baby Drash, right? Yeah, I just finished, you know, it's still open here. I just finished a minute, the, the Mizrahi World Bet Midrash, and now I'm here. I think it's the fifth Zoom event. Much easier than cleaning, you know, for Pesach, speaking to people over the phone. So, yeah, fifth Zoom, Zoom event today. Um, that That's amazing. Uh, I, I take it from your background that you're still with us here in New York City and you haven't made it back to Israel. Uh, yeah, although every morning we still ask ourselves, I mean, where, we, what should we, you know, what should we do? We decided we'll wait until after until after, until Pesach. After Pesach, we'll you know rethink about it again. Meaning you're, you're you're considering going back to Israel, staying in Bidud for for a couple of weeks, and uh, and living it out there. Uh, what can I tell you? What we're doing here is also quite uh, Bidud. You know, we're being here isolated, quarantined. For um, we hardly go out. I guess just like all other New Yorkers, I hope. Uh, we're here at home. Everything stopped. You know, every day I look at, at the schedule. So today I was supposed to be in Palo Alto. For Shabbat, I was supposed to be in Toronto. Nice dreams, you know, nice, uh, nice plans. Yeah, they're nice places to be. I guess you could keep flipping the background so you get to the place that you want to visit. <laughs> um, the, I, so you're, you're here for a year in the U.S. You're... Ashlucha, you and your husband. I guess he's a shaliach, technically, um, of World Mizrahi. And uh, until Corona hit, you have been making the rounds and you have been in different communities. And I'm curious to hear um, what's intrigued you. What have you learned? What uh, what do American what should Americans know about themselves? Yeah. So I think we learned two things, but there is a contradiction here. I mean, first of all, we really visited like dozens of communities all over North America, from Montreal to Texas, from Dallas to California, everywhere. Baruch Hashem, it was fascinating to meet thousands of brothers and sisters, new people we never met before, and learn about them. It was it was really so great, and I wish we can continue. I don't know. We're all, nobody knows. But um, on the one hand, I, I was really impressed. I mean, I saw something very impressive that the way the communities are built, you know, the way the shul is built, um, there's the strength of, of, the, of the community. Uh, I remember the first time I was invited to, to a shul, I was like a colony resident, and they, uh, they told me, oh, nice meeting you. I'm the, someone said, I'm the president of the shul. I was sure, you know, he, he's, he's joking. I mean, why do you need a president for a shul? In Israel, my husband just goes, Davin's Mincha, comes back, I don't know. And here, it's different and it's like a center of, of identity. And it's very impressive to see the way, what, what you did. And uh, of course here, but not only here, I must say the OU, everything you do is very impressive. I think I met you at the tour in New York event, but so many, like you work very hard about your identity. You, you know, it's, you don't take it for granted since you, you know, you have to work hard in order to, it's not a Jewish state. Um, but on the other hand, I feel after five months here, maybe all I saw is a bubble, a beautiful bubble, a, a, a really a, a, um, a successful bubble. Uh, you know, you can live your whole life, you know, and just you have OU and YU. You have the camps and you have the gap years. You know, you have those, those uh, 
concept and, and that, that's beautiful. But I can't forget the fact 90%, 85% of the Jewish population here in America are so far away from the bubble that they're not here with us. Uh, where are they? What should we do in order to draw them in the bubble? And uh, do we think about them you know, daily? And um, I tried. I tried to meet many other people, Israelis especially, so many Israelis here. So um, it's. I think that's, it's, it's, that's the conclusion. It's not, you know, I don't want to summarize everything, but these are the first conclusions. That's really interesting. And I, if, I, I can share as a child of one of the Israelis who ended up here, that the Israelis who end up here from the first half of your observation sense that they're not in the Jewish state anymore and the background music isn't Jewish anymore. So they're really looking to belong. They're more interested in Mit uh, Chaskim. Uh, in, in, in finding that, that Jewish uh, spark, because they have to, because it's not going to be obvious for their kids. So they need to invest. Okay, no, time. I didn't know. So your parents are Israelis, and they sent, me, sent you to a Jewish school or a public school? They sent me to a Jewish school. They sent me to a conservative day school. Yeah. So my father's Israeli. Usually, usually Israelis prefer the free public schools, which are, like, good, but they're not Jewish. So, uh, no, so I grew up in LA and uh, well, my father's Israeli. My mother was from the former Soviet Union, Russia, Ukraine, Hungary. And wow. that population in LA like had more in common with the Americans. And they were meaning the Russians, the Israelis, the Persians, they were all very traditional. And traditional meant we don't want to be too crazy, but we want to be like secular. That's ridiculous. So and we don't uh, when I was growing up, I mean, sorry. And we don't assimilate, I guess. You don't we don't, oh, we, no, 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 you know, Friday night, Friday night we have to be with the family and we have to watch TV together. You know, we, <laughs> you can't go out. That's goyish, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Now you have to stay wow. here. So conservative day school, uh, when I was younger, everyone like Russians, Israelis, Persians, the second generation wow. grew up in conservative day schools. And now it's a lot of the story of a, Okay, no, I can interview you if you want. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <laughs> good for you. for you know the direction you chose. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. So far, so good. It's funny to be raising my children now with a uh, with a lifestyle that I didn't uh, grow up with myself, which yeah. you probably also are uh, yeah. feeling. It's really hard. As a balachuva, you know, I also I grew up completely secular, no Persians in our family. Ashkenazi secular family in Herzliya in the center of Israel. And it's really hard to educate your kids, you know. My husband comes from an Orthodox family. His father is a, is a rabbi. But, uh, but it's, it's hard, you know, because um, many uh, they make mistakes, really serious mistakes. They don't understand what it means to grow up as a, as a religious child, you know. So I try not to, you know, intervene, interfere. My husband, uh, I trust him. I see what he does. I remember when my son was like five, and he, and once he didn't bench. So I was, you know, maybe the way you say it here, it's uh, OTD off the derech, and what's going on? He, he doesn't bench. And my father is like, my husband is like, relax, okay? He's five, what, what do you want? So uh, yeah, Boch Hashem, we, we tried to, Hashem, we tried to do it successfully. You know, the, you know the old joke, how many Bali Chuba does it take to screw in a light bulb? What, you're allowed to do that? <laughs> Um, Sivan, I uh, appreciate you coming on and spending time with us. Is there, uh, is, is there a, a, one final message that you want to share with the, with the listeners, the audience? Yeah, first of all, thank you for inviting me. I can run away, you know, and leave the kids with all the mess, all the balagan in the house for Pesach. 
that's something we really didn't plan, you know, to do Pesach all by ourselves in New York. I mean, that's really quite a challenge. Uh, I'm not complaining. I mean, other people are uh, facing harder challenges, but uh, so thank you for inviting me, you know, I have, uh, to have a break. All those Zooms, Zoom shiurim are, are my breaks during the day. Uh, seriously, and it was fun discussing other issues with you, you know, the Israelis and the, and the LA, since I think we're focused on the coronavirus, we talk about it all day, think about it. I don't know, when was the last time the whole world spoke about the same thing for like a month? I think never, like in our history, uh, we didn't have such a media, so we couldn't all discuss the same thing. That's like, you know, the center of attention for, for everyone. Um, the only thing, you know, I'm not a rabbit and I'm not, not an expert. I'm sure there's a message here, you know, as Jews, I'm sure there's a lesson we should learn. Now, what is the lesson? So many life lessons here, you know, to be more simple and humble, to focus on the house, on the family, um, to uh, uh, not to shop and buy and think the world, you know, belongs to us and we can do everything. Uh, maybe it's a new version of Migdal Bavel, Babylon Tower, you know, of the, of the man, uh, mankind who tried to reach the top to be, to, to think we are, uh, we're not created in the image of God, we are in a way, we are God. We, we even reach up, you know, we climb and we think, in a way I think it represents maybe the world we had before. And maybe that's, you know, I don't want to be, be too symbolic, but maybe that's the, that's the lesson we should learn. And each individual should, you know, sit and think. I mean, what went wrong with my life? I certainly have, you know, my conclusions. Where was I wrong? I exaggerated here and there. And, you know, it really, it's, it's really, it, 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 everything changes. I just think of, we're here for two weeks, just us, you know, 24 seven. Kabbalat Shabbat, all by ourselves. We do, it's, it's, and we all, we all experience those. I mean, I have those moments when I look at the house and I'm like, is it a nightmare? Is this paradise? Sometimes it's like, like you know, Gan Eden. It's, it's paradise. We're just us. We need something else. And sometimes it's like a nightmare. When will it end? You know, I, I dreamt, I was dreaming about the yellow bus. You know, the transportation that in, in New York, you have that yellow bus here. Uh, we don't have, that color in Israel. I was seriously dreaming about that yellow bus, just coming here, picking the kids, taking them to learn something serious with serious teachers and not with me all day. It's really, it's confusing. And we as Jews should always think about, you know, what it means to us. How can we be better? Um, the fact that you're dreaming about yellow buses tells me that you've been in Galut for too long. That's a, <laughs> that, back to green buses. Amazon, Amazon Prime, you know, I miss. I think about it. I'm here only for five months. And in Israel, we don't have Amazon Prime yet. And Spoiled. but here I got used to it and I'm so addicted. Now it doesn't work. It's it's you know, it's broken. Amazon, it takes them like a week or two weeks. Uh parts of Amazon Prime. They just they just don't uh it don't exist anymore. And I, you know, like I became a Jap who can't live, you know. If uh when I go to go back to Israel, I won't have it. But uh, yeah, you got used to those uh, awful things in life. Sivan, if people watching, um, like, you know, two of them who haven't heard of you before and want to learn more about you or learn from you, get in those WhatsApp groups, where do they find you online? Wow, just Google my name. There's a site, there's an English, serious English version of the site, sivanravmeir.com. You can find everything there. There are weekly lectures, uh, weekly messages translated into English. I write like a short paragraph every day and you can follow uh, and be there. And 
Uh, basically, I'm, yeah, I'm quite available, especially now when there's nothing in the schedule, you know. But uh, yeah, I wish to, you know, I don't know. I think we're going back after Pesach. It's, it's quite crazy to stay. I think it's quite stable. I don't think the schools will be opened again this year. It looks like so. Um, but it was a great experience, you know, and I hope to continue one day, to come back to the communities, uh, to, to meet, to talk, to, to, to be together. It's, uh, and of course, I hope you will come to Israel. Maybe uh, the machine is on his way. So that's basically, you know, it's a good reason to cancel and change everything because I guess the, uh, the world is going toward that direction. So for the final redemption, I'm willing to cancel all my plans. Amen. Amen. I can't wait till, till my dreams are filled with green buses. <laughs> Sivan, Thank thanks for joining much. us. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Bye-bye. Bye. This is OU Live. I'm Rabbi David Pardo. Thanks for joining us. I am uh, I'm thrilled to introduce our next guest, Rabbi Shoal Robinson, originally from Glasgow. After he completed his MBA, he took on extensive studies in Israel. He was the first full-time chaplain, student chaplain at the University of Cambridge. Um, and a rabbi of the Barnes Synagogue in North London until 2005, when New York City uh, was lucky enough to get him as the rabbi of Lincoln Square Synagogue, where he has been ever since. Rabbi Robinson. Rabbi Pardo, good to see you. Likewise, how you doing? Good, we're hanging in there. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, please tell me more about the, the hanging in there. Um, I would love to, <laughs> what does that mean to you? Look, we're all processing. I think uh, we all understand or we're beginning to understand <clears throat> that we're at the, really the beginning of a very long road and none of us really quite know how long that road is going to be, how bumpy it's going to be. Uh, if you're like me, we're probably reading news, uh, googling or scrolling or looking for uh, points of information that are either um, falsely hopeful or possibly excessively doom-making. So we're all confused and we're all uh, we're all very much struggling at a time like this. There's no question about it. People are feeling isolated and people are uh, have lost much of the uh, much of what binds people together. The natural ability to come together in shul, even the natural ability to walk down the street or to go into a store and not look at every other person around you as a potential uh, threat. So many, many things that we take for granted are uh, you know, have unraveled, and we know that they will stitch together again, but nobody knows when. So your your job as a shul rabbi is often to help people articulate what they're feeling and help them work through what, what they're feeling. Uh, I'm curious what you uniquely, as the, the rabbi whose job that is, how is that falling on you, and what, what how is your job changing, how are the pressures changing, and how are you coping with those and adjusting to it was that? Actually, it's an excellent question, and thank you for inviting me on the uh, <coughs> the show tonight. Um, I uh, was chatting to a, a colleague uh, in the uh, neighboring shul before, and we both remarked that uh, we never actually expected to be quite so busy at this time. When uh, when we heard the shuls were closing, we really did think that that was you know the end. We were going to be out of work, and uh, you know. Um, you know, not that the shul will be closing permanently, it would be a loss to do. Well, much of what we do in the shul is show up and uh, the day brings what it brings. Clearly, rabbis, and indeed in many, many cases, shuls are, are busier than ever. Um, we'll talk a few moments about Zoom and taking a community online, what you can do, what you cannot do, what you should do, um, what might never go back to being the same. 
but um, there were immense needs and opportunities. I've been giving classes in Shigurim. I have to say my Tuesday morning Parsha class had three times the number of attendees as it does uh, when it meets in, uh, in person. Partly, some people just can't physically get there. People from ex-members of the shul who live all over the uh, country joined in. Partly, of course, because people really are looking to fill their day and shuls have a tremendous responsibility to help people fill what could be tremendous amount of blank time. There are some people who are going through this as, I'm talking particularly as a Manhattan rabbi, as juggling two jobs or juggling both couples working uh, with children in school, online, all in a relatively small apartment. Other people are retirees, singles or empty nesters who have weeks and weeks and weeks of social isolation stretching before them. And those are different challenges. And um, shuls are looking to fill those, um, those gaps and people or those, those needs and the gaps. Our youth department doing an amazing job in providing regular fun programming, story time, uh, with the youth director and challah baking online, etc. And the shul is working very, very hard on shiurim and classes. Lincoln Square Synagogue the other night had a town hall meeting. We just wanted to give people an opportunity, first of all, to hear about what was happening in the shul. This was last Wednesday night. So in other words, in coronavirus years, it was about six months ago. And um, hundreds of people joined the call and wanted to know, wanted to hear, and wanted to be able to connect. This morning when I started my Parsha class, I typically always run a few minutes late before giving a shear. And while I was just putting the final preparations, I actually decided to leave everybody unmuted. And there were conversations going on. It was actually one of the nicest things that I'd heard in the longest time, people being able to speak to each other in a crowded environment, voices cutting across each other. It brought back some of the uh, some of the um, uh, you know some of the vibrancy of shul life that uh, that we all miss. So we're trying hard. We've taken an astonishing amount online. People really congratulate the Jewish educators, SAR, and others who've done an amazing job at taking an entire program and now all schools online. I don't think anybody would have credited the swiftness and the adaptability of Jewish educators. And now I'm seeing the same in shul, obviously with the barrier of minion, of tefillah b'tzibur, but connectedness and classes online and other things are, um, you know, people are, um, people are extraordinarily uh, thirsty for that kind of thing. Um, I'm, you know, Rabbi Hauer was on, um, I don't, in Corona years, I can't remember, right. some time ago, he, he remarked that we've been decrying cell phones and jewels for years as right. like the killer of community and the killer of focus and the killer, just the worst thing. And now it's the only, it's the only way where we're still davening together and learning together and creating community. So I'm curious, God willing, this will pass. This, this will also be part of a uh, part of our history. Yeah, God willing, God willing soon. And when that happens, I'm curious your opinion, um, what's going to stick what's not what is going to stick but we wish wouldn't what is going to be you know our zoom shooting going to become the staple um or an addendum how is this going to transform um the way we the way we conduct our business and the way we think about ourselves as a community 
How would you like it to also? Well, that's an excellent question. Look, none of knows how long this is going to last. And it could be that next year, this time next year, this will all be a memory. Remember when we were all making Pesach at home, we were asking these questions, nobody could go to the rabbi to sell chametz, etc. It's entirely possible that this, uh, it's, it's uh, maybe wishful thinking to think that this will be such a, a brief interruption in our lives, that things and equilibrium will really go back to, to normal. But we are facing uh, huge challenges in the future. Um, I've actually been speaking and I really, really sincerely, my job is to project um, a uh, upbeat and hopeful um, a message to the community. And, uh, and to help people understand that this is really a temporary phenomena. At the same time, some things are going to change and they're going to change permanently. Some things are better. As I mentioned before, having many more people able to take a class because it's offered online, um, probably in the future, most schools will be offering a dial-in or a Zoom opportunity for learning. Even though I think as soon as we're able to go back to school, people will very much want to engage again in person. But there are all sorts, we're at the beginning of a wave here. Everybody is, you know, by the time we get out of our bidudes, Zoom might even be, you know, yesterday's uh, technology. We have no idea how um, adaptable we're going to discover um, and, and what new modalities we're going to have. So certainly there's going to be more, on -time learning, uh, more online learning. Certainly also rabbis are going to be anxious that things which are really bidiyavad, are really not uh, ideal options in halakha, don't become um, the standard default. Two weeks ago in Purim, it's hard to imagine it was two weeks ago, rabbis were so searching, if we allow you to do Megillah online, will anybody go to, why would any old, why would anybody call the rabbi to arrange a private Megillah reading? Why would anybody go to Shul for uh, Megillah reading again? Those They're are saying valid. it's going to be the death of Shul. It's going to be the death of Shul. We'll never walk those it back. Valid, those are valid concerns. Those are those are those are indeed valid concerns. Um, that's why I think there's some reluctance regarding Minyanim. I think you know there's a sack that came out today from uh, some Moroccan rabbis. Some already being uh, clearly pressured to walk it back a little bit regarding uh, Skype or, or or Zoom, Sidorim. Look, as a rabbi of many uh, scores of people who will be having Seder night by themselves, these are heartbreaking situations. And um, it's very difficult to know whether you say to somebody, look, a Talmud Chacham, a Posek has said this, you know, use this psak if you wish, as opposed to say to somebody, you know, you ought not do this, this is not correct. These are very, very, very difficult uh, decisions that we have to make. The other point I want to emphasize, however, is something which is really going extraordinarily well, and not just the Lincoln Square Synagogue, but I'm sure in every shul worth its name, which is the chesed, the outpouring of, of simple people making them there for each other, calling seniors, calling people who are shut in, calling people who are, are vulnerable, offering shopping services. Now, obviously, social isolation is exactly that. And you, by definition, cannot get too close to person. But simply, I am inundated with uh, many more requests uh, to help, uh, to allow me to help people than I am for people needing help. Um, and that's really a remarkable thing, how much chesed and how much community building is going to go on. I tell the shul, even on days when I personally, we all go in waves, when I don't always feel 
as uh, quite so uh, upbeat as I should. We all have days like that at that moment. I tell the shul that we'll get through this stronger and uh, we will not just be stronger on the other side, but we'll be stronger during it. And I really believe that. There's a tremendous sense of community. My concern is that if this goes on for eight weeks, 10 weeks, you know, it could be that schools won't be able to open up for months and months and months because even when the strictest, uh, you know, uh, stay-at-home orders are done, public assemblies of anything other than very limited natures are going to be are going to be uh, very limited. And then you'll have a question, if a shul isn't open in Rosh Hashanah, are people going to pay membership? Are people going to pay dues? We could be with the economic crisis and everything else happening, we could be looking at the unraveling of much of the infrastructure of Jewish life, unfortunately. That's a reality. But as Sivan said, and I wasn't the shul that she met the president, Lincoln Square Synagogue was the first shul actually two or three years ago. Lincoln Square Synagogue was the first shul in America that Sivan Rahab Mayer spoke in. Oh, First so you're year. the you're the show with the president. I don't that, think that... I don't think that I don't think we're the show with the president because then she wasn't officially a scholar in residence. It was a private thing that was arranged through a mutual acquaintance. She and her husband came to us for Shabbos. She spoke. We, we could have asked her to clarify this. Exactly, exactly. You did hear her husband wrote an incredible column in uh, Bashev, I think it was, um, the following week about how blown away he was. By the program of the standard shuls, so she definitely had that experience at uh, at Lincoln Square. Look, uh, as Sivan said, you know, there's going to be a new reality. I found, and I just say this, that's been giving me chizuk in these days. As uh, you know, it's crazy to imagine that New York City is probably going to go down as the worst equipped and the place that suffered the most during this virus. Our country and the city in particular. Um, it's possible to lose faith in America. We can never lose faith in the Jewish people. And I'm actually being mechazic myself in many, many ways that I'm Yisrael Chai. None of us know how much the world will have changed when we come out of this. And out of this doesn't mean in six weeks, eight weeks, when the bell curve begins to go down and it should go slowly so that more people don't need to go into the ICU and everything. But when we come out of the, you know, the, the other side, the long-term other sides, I'm mechazic myself with the fact that, you know, that we're Jews and we've seen worse, we've lived through worse, and that we're an eternal people and that our fundamental way of life, whether this school, this shul, God forbid, goes through some kind of existential crisis is one thing. But I'm Yisrael Chai. We're an eternal people. And, you know, that's why Pesach is such an important season, even for people who cannot be with family even for people who, who have to be by themselves this year. We are literally hanging on, embracing the idea that we are Jews and that that's what we're hanging on to on Pesach and that we'll, we'll get through this. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is with us, all, all of humanity. There's a Brit that HaKadosh Baruch Hu made with the Jewish people. As long as we're part of that, he's with us without question. Very powerful words. Rabbi Robinson, for people who heard you for the first time and want to uh, maybe join, be one of the 300 people in one of those Zoom shiurim or, or find you online somehow, connect. Uh, they can't come to Lincoln Square Synagogue this Shabbos. So what's their uh, you know, second best bet? It's kind of an irony that um, a friend of mine, I'm fairly active, as you may know, in social media, particularly on Facebook. I haven't got the, the patience or the guts for Twitter. Um, but um, I... Uh, a friend of mine on Facebook pointed out the other day that um, 
you know, it used to be the rabbis were quote unquote competing with uh, the rabbi down the block or the three or four shuls in walking distance. Now everybody is offering the Kabbalat Shabbat, musical Abdallah. Are you going to this chazan, that shul, this rabbi, whose Thursday night partial class are you going to, whose sh life Shabbos Hagodol Drosh are you tuning into? It's a change reality. Um, I'm very active on Facebook. Everybody is very welcome to follow me on that, my private, uh, my personal page, Shaw Robinson on Facebook. And um, check out Lincoln Square at Synagogue. We keep updating the website in terms of online classes that are, that are going on. Thank you for the opportunity to give a little bit of shout out. But I would really say that uh, this is not a time for shul hopping, even virtual shul hopping. Embrace and strengthen your community. I'll tell you something. Your rabbi is also having a hard time. I appreciate it tremendously when people check in with me. I try and check in with many people as well. The rabbi appreciates it as well. So even if you can't see your rabbi, you can't go to your minion, you can't go to your shul, stay close, stay strong, and, um, and let's all keep our shuls and our communities and the OU and all of the institutions really, really vibrant. Rabbi Robinson, beautiful words. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Have a great night and Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach indeed. And uh, good Chodesh. Amen. Good to you. Well, you heard it. We'll be back here, God willing, tomorrow night and the night after. We're here weeknights at 9 p.m. Drop us a line at OULive at OU.org. Hit like, hit subscribe. And your homework tonight, you heard it from the man himself, is to go check on, on your rabbi, check in on someone who you're used to being taken care of by. Give the, uh, give the favor back. In the meantime, Rabbi David Pardo, this is OU Live.